0: Very good afternoon, and I'll tell you what, we got a very special guest today, uh, as usual. And before we do that, I want you to watch something. So let's roll the video there, and we'll watch that first, okay? Life is just here as a game, a game for me to play. And if I don't win, then I'll fucking cheat. Lewis Raymond Taylor is the owner of a $25 million business... I've had 120 businesses. None of them have been able to do what he's done.
1: The coaching masters.
0: We change people's
1: lives. Lewis is a genius.
0: He just gives and gives and gives.
1: I was on a downward spiral. My mindset has become a lot more positive. It has been the best thing I ever did.
0: Lewis has been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder.
1: I've always had these voices in my head devil voices. Alcoholic dependency, narcotic dependency, anger issues. I was sentenced to my third prison sentence. Things escalated quickly. Oh my god, you animal. I
0: will fight
1: you, I don't give a fuck! Lewis, do
0: you know why you've been arrested? Lewis is a dangerous individual and the coaching
1: masters is a cult. Psychotherapy, psychiatry, coaching. All of it is just talking. If you have an opinion that doesn't sit with Lewis, you're exiled. If it is a cult, I'm going. It's changed everything. He says, he feels empathy. Psychopaths would say that. Am I this lovely person? (laughs) Or am I a cold, calculating psychopath?
0: The Psychopath Life Coach. It's some show. It's on Netflix at the moment. One of the biggest documentaries on Netflix. And despite three prison stints, an abusive background... And even being diagnosed as a psychopath, Lewis Raymond Taylor has made millions. He's now a multi-millionaire, with an estimated fortune of about 25 million. And he joins me on the line. Lewis, hi, how are you? I'm
1: good, thank you. It's always very interesting to re-watch that trailer. I was um, going to say <laughs> that.
0: <Do you> re- <laughs> I mean, do you, when I see you snorting the line of coke, drinking the alcohol, hmm. you know, making those faces of anger into the screens, helping by the voices in your head, do you recognize yourself there? Um, it's a difficult one
1: because, of course, I do have the memories of it. But at the same time, it's so distant. It does just feel a bit like a story. You know, there's not much mm. difference in our mind between imagination and memory. And sometimes it can feel like a fictitious story. But, of course, it's not because there's all the proof and the video evidence out there for the world now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit hard I mean, to comprehend Sometimes, I mean, when you away. when you
0: look at, you know, the fighting scenes and everything else and that kind of that real anger in your face and the snort, the yeah. cocaine and everything, are you looking at that person going scumbag like why who is that that's just not me yeah
1: yeah i do i think how did i get myself into that situation in the first place um Mm -hmm. but i'm more surprised of how how i've been able to become who i am you know Mm -hmm. because there's two parts of it, not there i could have gone from a person that um you know completely effed his life up to someone who became okay and didn't get in trouble and you know held down a job and was a normal member of society um i never in a million years thought I could go out and become someone that could help somebody
0: and, you know, be this good yeah. person and all these sorts of things. So that, that to me is probably more astonishing, to be honest. Well, well, we're going to come to that in a second, but I want to go right back because people want to know how that happens to somebody, how somebody ends up like that. And I've often wondered, by the way, whether it's nature or nurture. And mm-hmm. I suppose that then the question to be asked is, what sort of relationship did you have with your mom and dad? Yeah. Was a good? So uh no
1: okay i mean there was some good in there um it wasn't like i wasn't abused um Mm -hmm. in a direct sense where it was intentional but there was abuse there there was an emotional neglect there was physical abuse it wasn't constant um there was a lot of verbal abuse especially from my dad he'd put me down a lot he would call me a buffoon tell me never amount to anything um call me Mm -hmm. stupid a lot and I uh, believed him you know that's how you know we 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 figure out how the world works and how we sit in it and who we are from a young age we're absorbing that information and uh you mentioned about the nature or nurture question and it's it's debatable um but in the documentary jeff Beatty, celebrity psychologist says that it's it's kind of a bit of both you can sometimes have a genetic factor but they don't necessarily uh materialize unless you know there is
0: mm. that um yeah the environment, the environment kind of brings it on yeah around you yeah exactly and when you were in school as a young lad at eight or nine years of age in primary school not secondary, did you enjoy school were you in any way academic did you like to learn or were you just constantly rebellious that i just hate this place i don't want to be here
1: yeah, I was almost expelled from uh, primary school, which was actually something that I
0: don't think anyone had ever done before, especially no. in my area. I don't know.
1: It's not really a dumb thing. To <laughs> no, that. it's
0: quite unusual to get, <laughs> to get to that point to be expelled from primary school. Whatever about secondary school, but primary school is yeah. difficult. Yeah. yeah.
1: I was just very naughty from a young age. I must have been sort of subconsciously acting out um, from a very young age. Um, my mum told me a story of even in nursery where she came, it was like, come and view your child at nursery day. So I must have been, I don't know, three. And um, everyone was sitting on the floor with their legs crossed and I was running around in a Superman costume, banging a drum, singing happy birthday. So there's just something a little bit off key about me or something, some sort of attention that I was looking for. And did she ever ever
0: bring you anywhere to get you diagnosed? Because that kind of sounds like a kid with ADHD or something like that. So did she ever ever bring you anywhere and think his behaviour is not, you know, what we consider normal? Um, he's a bit hyper. Maybe I should bring him somewhere and get him diagnosed with mm. something.
1: No, I, just, I don't think it was like it was now. Um, yeah, true, back, true. you know, years ago. I think it was. I mean, I remember hearing about ADHD actually when I was more of a teenager. Didn't? I never thought about myself uh, on that spectrum. Mm. Um, probably am, as among, uh, amongst many other things as well. Mm. Some labelled, uh, some have already been labelled, and some probably you know and yet to be. Some new ones actually since the documentary. Funnily enough, I've had I've had all sorts of people diagnosing me in my Instagram DMs.
0: I'm sure every every viewer of the
1: documentary has been diagnosing me as well. Yeah, I mean, apparently I'm I'm potentially autistic as well, which is (laughs) another interesting one to add to the dynamic. But no, no, it wasn't. It was never addressed. It was never really thought. I was just seen as a naughty bad kid.
0: Yeah, and when you went to secondary school, then of course it's a bit different. Primary school, you're kind of compelled to stay there secondary school i don't know what it's like in the uk but over here you have to stay there till you're 16 and um, but mm-hmm. a lot of kids try and get out before then did you just want to get out you just wanted to like were you in gangs were you hanging around with the wrong crowd um well it, just before then, i um i was looking for this attention
1: and uh i i found it for acting singing and dancing um which was an interesting thing for me to want to do but i did because just because I wanted to be famous, not because I actually liked the, the, the performing arts. I did enjoy it, but it wasn't my driving factor. My driving factor was I want to be seen. Yeah. Um, and uh was unfortunately sexually abused by one of the lads at that um, yeah. at the stage school that I was doing. And then that's when I moved into secondary school, and that's where I had to kind of form a new identity. and well, I had an opportunity to form a new identity and I had an opportunity to uh, find a new way to fill that void and to get that attention. So that was my, when the real um naughty behavior became sort of criminality and i started shoplifting lighting like, fires smashing windows and being very disruptive and i also had this um i guess you could say condition but um it may be linked to the personality disorder if i do have it but i i don't i, I couldn't really understand the the hierarchy of staff so i could so when i got expelled at 15 in the end it said lewis was expelled for refusing to accept the authority of staff because i i just couldn't yeah it sounds really, really stubborn but i just didn't see the power of authority yeah um which is obviously what got me into trouble with the police and uh the criminal justice yeah. system um and subsequent years but um yeah, I. I started did social
0: services ever, I don't know whether that would have been even a thing then, they're not as active as they would be now, but did social services ever step in at a very early age and say, you know, go to your parents and say, listen, we need to do something about Lewis, this is not normal behaviour, this has to stop?
1: Oh. Uh, the school wrote home and said, we recommend Lewis seek psychiatric help. Okay. But my mum my and dad must have just thought oh, they're just well, i don't I have no idea what they thought but i guess they just chalked it up to just no lewis is just a naughty kid there's yeah. nothing wrong with him maybe they're in denial i don't know um social services weren't involved but i did get an asbo so the um the council was kind of involved with kind of banning me from the area and stopping me from getting up to all sorts of trouble because i was just causing all sorts of issues but no social services weren't involved because on the surface it didn't look too bad you know it my my dad was a functional alcoholic, so he'd, he'd work in IT, he'd come back home, then he would drink himself to oblivion until 2 a.m. and then, you know, pass out. And mm. uh, my mum would drink a lot, but both of them worked. I don't I don't think that you would see a dysfunctional family on the surface, but it was just more so
0: what was happening behind the scenes and the kind of way it was
1: affecting me, you know?
0: And had you started drinking at a young age, When you, obviously because your, your dad was a serious drinker and your mum was drinking, yeah. did, did you start drinking at a young age?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I did. Yeah, exactly. So I, as soon as I could, try and found, find some people to buy that for me down the local parks and stuff. I think probably around around thirteen was probably the age where I was buying my bottles of cider in the yeah. park, <laughs> and um, and that's when I started getting drunk. And um, yeah, that didn't help things. And I started smoking weed. It's your, your, your typical gateway story into drugs and alcohol
0: you know yeah Um, from one from bad to worse constantly all the time and and when was the first time can you remember the first time you you were brought to a police station or you were arrested or can you remember the first time yeah yeah. well actually the first time i got arrested was for uh, stealing makeup
1: from Superdrug
0: (laughs) because you could could have been arrested for something worse than that couldn't you (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, actually, well, I've I've heard stories of other people actually. By the way,
0: if you think you're bad, I remember years ago, a friend of mine, two of us were going to school and we we tempted each other to steal. You know, we dared each other to steal. He went into the supermarket. I was about 12. He stole a packet of biscuits. Reasonably useful. We could eat those. I stole a tin of boot polish and I got caught. (laughs) Boot polish. Yeah, not worth the risk (laughs) and reward equation there. (laughs) Um, but yeah,
1: it- I, was with a, I was with two other girls and they were saying, "I'll oh, get me that, Lewis. And I was like, yep, no problem, just stick it in my pocket. And, and it just filled me up because I was this, you know, powerful lad that would get the girls what they wanted, you know. Yeah. And I um, was feeling good about it. And then there was, yeah, I, there was an in, in, in-store security guard. Because I was being, I was literally just putting it in my pocket. I wasn't yeah. even trying to be coy about it. But um, yeah, that was the first time. And then I used to, I used to have a bit of a fascination with smashing windows, I'm uh, not quite sure, quite like the sound of the shattering.
0: And uh, it was obviously a very abrupt yeah. uh, cry for attention as well because of the noise. Well, and yeah, but the reason I was going to ask you was, you said that you didn't really respect the, I suppose, the authority of your parents. You certainly didn't respect the authority of the school teachers in the school. But did the, when the police arrest you, did you think differently then? Or was it the same attitude? Who were they to tell me what to do?
1: Yeah, it didn't, didn't affect me at all.
0: And I racked up loads of
1: you know, delinquent um um, uh, convictions just for mm. stupid things. Uh, yeah. Loads of criminal damage. I used to just do it deliberately. I used to go around smashing fences, smashing windows, smashing bus stop windows, just throwing bottles into into com- like into buildings. Just, I just just stupid childhood. Yeah, cries it must have made a cry for attention or a thrill or some form of stimulation, I guess. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't getting any form of potential in a sort of stimulation that and when when did that I have, change I mean, this is the whole yeah. conversation around this whole psychopath thing right yeah. Antisocial personality disorder i don't know if i've been labeled with that If it's a product of trauma if i was genetically born with it if i have it now if i've cured it if i channeled it into another area there's so many components to that but there is a there is an argument for if i do have that and i do still have that then I, I never would have felt the emotion and the sense of belonging and fulfillment and love and all these kind of nice emotions that keep most people. Because stable. you have those
0: now because you're quite empathetic now because even, you know, we had a bit of a mix up in relation to the time of this, this podcast and you, you apologize to me. You were so empathetic. You're very understanding. So that's not the old Lewis, but yet you're yeah. still the same. You still have the same diagnosis. You're still a yeah. psychopath uh, by your own admission. So certainly diagnose, but yet you could, you can control it and you can have yeah. those emotions now so what was stopping you having the emotions say for some kid you might have beat up or, or robbed yeah. from a shop or what was stopping you think having those emotions
1: well i i wouldn't say i have the emotions now i say i have more um definitely still much lower on the spectrum compared to a lot of other people you know i i don't get influenced by them as much as a lot of other people would but i'm much more logically attuned to understanding what they are and being able to mimic's not the right word because that'll have a negative connotation to it but responding to people in a way that's appropriate uh in society um and mm-hmm. understanding on a logical cognitive level how i should behave be behaving because i have the awareness around it now whereas before i was just reacting and didn't understand myself in any way shape or form which is why i'm quite keen to speak up about neurodivergence and Uh, And talk about personality disorders because it's a big proportion of of the population that don't understand themselves. It's 80% of the prison population, it's 33% of CEOs. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, that's the success. Well, that's the two ends of the spectrum the successful and the very unsuccessful. So I'm in a little box here. But everyone in the middle is probably kind of lost, confused, feel different from everybody else, wondering why their life's not where it wants to be, wondering why they can't connect with people when really it's a condition that they have and they're probably scared of coming out the closet and saying, Hey, I've, I've got this disorder because of course everyone's going to say you're bad, you're a psycho, you're, you're evil, you're, and it's got this huge stigma to it when actually that's just a very small proportion, you know, like a psychopath that goes out and kills somebody is such a small proportion of the psychopaths that walk amongst us today. Um, But no one was going to talk about it because no one wants to put their hand up and admit that kind of thing. But I think in, in, as a culture, we are becoming more accepting of people's um, diversity. Of course, we yeah. are. Uh, and I think this is probably the next step in terms of understanding the way that people's minds work as well.
0: I mean, psychopathy is the next step after narcissism. And before that, of course, you have other things that affect people. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, has Asperger's. And mm. I know with Asperger's, because I'm very familiar with it, um, people tend to lack social cues. So did you lack social cues? In other words... When you were upsetting somebody, hurting somebody's feelings, beating somebody up, for Mm. example, did you understand how they, at any stage, because I couldn't do that. Like, I watched a video there one day on TikTok or Twitter or something. I don't know what it was on. And it was this lad in America, and he was beating a homeless guy in a garage. And he kept standing on his head and kicking his head. The guy died, by the way. Kicking his head, jumping up and down on his head. I said, I actually couldn't do that. No matter how much I hated somebody, I couldn't watching the human being dying because I'd know how they're feeling in pain and everything else. But when you have a disorder, for example, sometimes you can miss the social cues, the empathy, yeah. you know, yeah, on, yeah. how they're feeling. Did you, I mean, did you understand at any point, did you say, oh God, I felt sorry stealing from that guy, or I felt sorry for hitting that lad, or did,
1: did that the, ever the truth, is, the, truth, the truth is no, I didn't, um, yeah. it, but it was because I, always had some kind of rational log- logic justification as to why i was doing what i was doing exactly. i didn't go out randomly attacking people or stealing from people yeah. it was always yeah. co- so, some sort of confrontation where i chose to hurt somebody and wanted to and therefore after
0: wouldn't yeah. feel any guilt or remorse because i was i chose to do what i did um, I mean, it's a wild lifestyle looking at that trailer, you know, if you're doing the coke, driving down the road in the car, out in nightclubs, drinking, it was a wild lifestyle. It was an expensive lifestyle too, I'd say, probably every penny that you stole went into it. I mean, mm. how can you keep up that kind of lifestyle? Because that must be exhausting. Well, I didn't,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I had about a seven or eight, eight year sprint of real drug and alcohol sort of violence. And, and I mm. guess that was... You know, people, people do it for longer, but that was quite you know long enough for me. Yeah. I, I'm lucky I did survive. You know, I've had my jaw broken, my teeth knocked out. I've been slashed in the back of a knife. I've had overdoses. I've had all sorts of different scenarios, epileptic fits for 45 minutes, bangs on their heads, hit around the head with a wrench. You know, the list goes on. So I'm very lucky to have survived and um, very lucky to have survived the drug abuse because sometimes I'd be up three, four days straight without drinking a drop of water, just living off alcohol and drugs and getting to the point where I was hallucinating and God knows what that was doing to my body. I think the only, you know, saving grace I had was the fact that I was a young you know, lad yeah. at the time and my uh, bounced yeah. back quite quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it obviously, it, it was chaotic, but um, managed to just about get to the point where I was able to flip it around before it, I got to the point of no return, I guess. What was the first, what was the first time you were in prison? What was that for? So I, st- well, I say I stole a van. I, it's it's a crazy story, but I found a pair of car keys on the floor uh, and just pressed a button and then it beeped. It went beep beep. And I saw what it was a van. I was like, OK. And because I was not quite wired up in, in the head properly, I just put the keys in my pocket thinking, OK, well, I've got a van now. Um, and then went and got drunk and then we were going somewhere. Uh, me and my mates and I couldn't fit in the car and I said oh don't worry actually I've got an idea I've got a so van. I went I've <laughs> yeah. got a van down the road <laughs> yeah, really I didn't know that Lewis I didn't know you own a van oh yeah of course I have a van oh yeah so I jumped in the van and um I couldn't actually drive but I managed to kind of just about figure it out and I think I was driving in second gear even though the car was sort of you know and um a police car drove past and it flashed up on the camera and it, it, it turned out it had been stolen in a burglary um, and someone had thrown the keys away because they kind of decided so you they didn't want the stole a
0: stolen van. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: stole a stolen van, yeah, yeah exactly. Like so I got arrested yeah. for burglary um, and also driving without a license and also had a possession of cannabis on me and driving with no insurance and aggravated vehicle taking and all this sort of things. And I yeah. got three months in prison for it.
0: So when you go to prison for the first time, so you've been this bad kid all your life, what age were you, by yeah. the way, when you went to prison? What age was that first time? Uh, Eighteen okay young offenders when, when you walk in they take your clothes they give you this jumpsuit you're into a cell and you sat down did you not go what the hell am i doing this is i need to stop this now
1: absolutely not as a complete opposite like i like to be really honest because it's an interesting viewpoint for people to understand especially for people that might still be going through this and be able to understand maybe their children or things in a different way but my my belief system was so warped and because i didn't have this love or you know at home i'd kind of didn't understand love i kind of just about logically understood that i needed to be significant in order to fill some kind of void and i've been looking for that significance in these different areas um i tried the acting but got sexually abused i tried the, mm-hmm. um i tried a girlfriend as well and that that went badly and i tried to commit suicide and by slashing my own neck which is another story mm-hmm. and um when i went to prison I was already starting to make a bit of a name for myself uh, for being just a bit crazy. And like that's all I had. That's all, that's the only identity and the only significance the I had. Was... Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I went to prison, I was kind of thinking, cool, you know, I've just, this is another, this is a level up. This is a career move for me, you know, yeah. not a career move, like financially, <laughs> yeah. but...
0: Another notch on the belt. A,
1: but hey, Yeah, another notch on the belt in kind of the identity and the lifestyle I was living. And, and with everyone that I was hanging around with, this was... The thing that you'd be like, oh, have you heard
0: X has gone to prison? You know, wow, that's, you know, you wouldn't say, yeah. wow, that's cool. <laughs> I can't yeah. remember what words for him to use. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the those <laughs> on the lower echelon would look at that and say, yeah, that's another notch of the belt. He's a hero. Well done. Exactly. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Um. And the larger the sentence, the more you're like, wow, wow, impressive, you know. <laughs> so I was thinking three months cool I, new experience you know and um but it was it was difficult in the young offenders it's worse than normal jail just because there's a lot of young people that yeah, don't have any idea you. What yeah yeah and they're just they're just out there to cause more trouble and to create a name for themselves and they're in there for that lifestyle it's not most people in the older jails that i went to like, later on in life they're in there they want to do their time get out get back home and see the see their family or carry on with their criminality or whatever and it's like occupational hazard right i've got to do my time there's obviously obviously some bits that go on in there but for the large part most people are doing their time in young offenders it's like their new life and they're like playing up to it it's like a game it's like how can i steal the most things how can i hurt the most people how can i be the biggest in the wing it, so it's um it it is uh, a tough one to navigate
0: that but they they have support systems in jails as well where they kind of send you off for diagnosis or assessment did they do yep. that at that stage yeah they
1: did actually not the young offenders but i can't remember which j- her prison sentence it was but they did one and they diagnosed me with something else um which was an emotionally unstable personality disorder which was uh also known as borderline personality disorder. So either one of, one of them is wrong or I've got both or I've got neither. But it's funny how someone can speak to you for an hour and then, you know, give you a diagnosis like that. But um, I, I personally ever since looked back at some of these uh, diagnoses and um, don't connect. The thing with
0: about these diagnoses sometimes, it can be almost an excuse to continue the bad behavior. It's like, you know, when, when a kleptomaniac steals something and people say, hmm. oh, He's a kleptomaniac. He can't help it. And they go, yeah, that's right. I'm a kleptomaniac, so I can't help it. So I'll just keep doing it. Or yeah. he's an alcoholic, so I'll just keep drinking. Um, and I yeah. suppose giving you a diagnosis, you were kind of going, there you go. Knew there was something wrong with me, but I'll just keep doing it now. because so I'll live up to the diagnosis because that's what they want me to do.
1: Well, well especially, oh, yeah, because we've actually missed the psychopath one. Yeah, especially the psychopath one, because that was the first one, like, the main who one. Who goes, told was you psych- that? Who told you you were a psychopath? So I went to probation and they do a pre-sentence report, which is because I had this. OK, actually, so this was after. So I, I left Young Offenders. Everyone in Young Offenders kept on saying to me, what are you in for? What are you in for? You know, it's the first thing they say. And, it, and they rank you, you know, <laughs> according to your crime and your length of sentence. So when I came out, I kind of had this in the back of my mind. Well, if I go back in, I'm going to be getting a better sentence that's a better sentence which is a big <laughs> yeah, one yeah a longer one yeah <laughs> absolutely crazy to think now now that that's how my brain worked but it did. and um but i also had a lot of anger and i was at this point starting to fight and winning fights and taking some power back But i felt like i've been so powerless my whole life with the sexual abuse with the abuse of my dad i was starting to be- find this significance again through violence um and um i committed a load of violent crimes um and for somehow some reason because i was well i, I genuinely think and i because i'm white and can slick my hair to the side and put a suit on and had no beard at the time i look like a bloody angel so i i believe that every time i went to court um for some reason they just never put me on remand, you know, because usually when you're on, when you have a like a severe prison sentence and you have got more than one, they'll put you in prison and you await your court date and then you then go to prison. Yeah. But um, you then get your sentence. For me, they just kept on letting me back out. Um,
0: because it looked okay. So yeah. I,
1: yeah. But it, because because, it because it I looked, looked okay. I, <laughs> I look, I look, I did look like i have made a bit of a mistake, you know. Um, and uh, I, I racked up four GBHs, the so four grievous bodily arms, which is a, a lot. And um, the, the the pre-sentence report is supposed to analyse your home environment and who you are and get, get to know you a little bit better so they can recommend sentencing to the judge to make a bit more of an informed decision rather than just, you know, making an assumption on the day, not knowing you. Uh, but I went in there with the wrong attitude. Most people know that that's the point where you try and be on your best behaviour, but I, I, I just didn't care at all. And they they said that you're looking at about eight years in prison prison and i said i don't care yeah i said i'm not interested yeah whatever she said you know you going not care you're going to eight years prison I said no and um did you not care about any of the things you've done i said no and i had no guilt or shame or remorse and i know it's like really bad horrible to say that but i've just got to be honest and i you know whether or not it's because i would never experienced it before understood it before had the ability to access it or nurture it i don't know but i just didn't know what those emotions were they were never shared in my household all i understood was anger. So. I just gave her point blank answers to her questions and uh, she sent me for a psychiatric assessment and that was where they diagnosed me with the antisocial personality disorder, which is the clinical term of a psychopath. So psychopath isn't a diagnosable term. You ca- you can't yeah, it's, it's a number
0: term. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm, you know, I don't think I'm an actual psychopath
0: because usually, well, technically I am, but I mean, but yeah. But the word psychopath has a kind of stigma to it. You know, we expect to see you standing exactly. there, and you know, in a black cloak with a knife in your hand. You know, <laughs> because exactly. we associate yeah. psychopaths with serial killers. Uh, normally, exactly. <laughs> that's what we think—people who go around killing people with no empathy whatsoever. And you're clearly not that, mind you. You're a yeah. bad boy. So but, but saying
1: that, but saying that, you know, if I had to, this is the truth, right? I, I would never kill any I've got no fantasy. So that's when you're on that like crazy end of the spectrum, and, and I don't think that's pure psychopathy. The people that are serial killers, they're not just psychopaths, they've probably been traumatized from a young age, they probably have this need for revenge, they probably have this um bitterness to the world, they probably have hate they have fantasy you know it's as that combined with the ability to be able to be aggressive with no remorse or guilt which causes serious issues right so i have none of the the latter although i was angry at the world a lot of the time which is why i was punching people but i had no fantasies of hurting people or killing people but something i will say which is um quite controversial is if i was put in a situation where i had to kill somebody because i had to save my own life i think most people would do the same but I could—I don't want to say—very easily sounds um, sounds not very. No, Isn't that good, question good. that
0: Oprah Winfrey asked this question years ago to her audience? Was yeah. if if I offered you a million dollars and put you in a room with a gun with a complete stranger and said you had to shoot them dead? which yeah, yeah. nobody would ever find out about it you know it's hypothetical would you shoot them? yeah and something like i think a quarter of the audience said they would well, there we go
1: there we go right? i
0: mean and and if like if i was in some
1: sort of i don't know army environment you know military environment or if i was in you know there was some sort of terrorist situation going on that i had to try and save the day on i would be quite comfortable with uh with making that decision and i don't yeah. think i would look back on that decision after i don't know whether that's normal or not i can only go by my own brain no. but uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. So the last time, the, the
0: last time you were in jail, real hero. So you're in jail, big time now. So the last time you were in jail, this is when the kind of light you wanted to turn your life around. But I, I'm assuming you had an epiphany at some point. You you must have sat there and you know looked at your life and said, "This needs to stop." What what was that turning point? And what was the point where you made that decision? Well, I was on the front page of the news. Well, I rang up my friend and said, "What are people
1: saying about me?" And they said, "Because that was my." fuel at the time you know the reputation um what are people saying about me I said you're on the front page of the paper i was like oh, okay good um I said what else are people saying they said oh your friend has posted a picture of you outside court i was like, okay okay what did that, what did that say and he said there's a picture of you outside the courtroom the day you were sentenced and a picture next to it a view outside the exact same courtroom seven years before looking exactly the same but with a caption above it nothing changes and um as weird as it was that was the thing that really hit home for me because it was my friend that was just as bad as me and um i kind of thought what do you mean nothing changes like you're just as bad as me but then i thought about it i thought he's actually right seven years have gone past and nothing has actually changed because i am in prison again um and as cliche as it sounds i went back to my my prison cell and looked in the mirror, and it's, it's very cliche, looking in the mirror at myself, but I looked in the mirror at myself, which was a scratched off piece of metal, not a mirror because yeah. that's, yeah. that's all they give it.
0: a shiny and tin. Saw,
1: yeah, and I saw a reflection of myself, and because he just said that, I kind of realized for the first time that that I was the problem, yeah you know i, I never never looked at myself before, I'd always blamed everything and everyone around me, and I'd always kind of. Never re- accepted any kind of responsibility, or thought that I could make any changes to myself. And in in realizing I was the problem, I also realized that I was the solution. And then I realized, wow! If I want my life to change, I need to change me. And I know, like of course, you, you you look back on life and go, oh, for God's sake, why didn't I realize that sooner? That's just the most obvious thing. But. I guess unless you've read a page of a book or listened to a minute of a podcast or had any kind of constructive criticism, there's possibly that you go through See, life without knowing that.
0: That's what I'm saying. There was nobody in your life telling you, you know, that no. you could be something different because even your dad yeah. just said, had no faith in you. And I'm sure all the times when you were going to jail, um, I don't know when you're, is your dad still with us now or is he, is he gone? Okay. But I'm sure all those times you went to jail, your dad was probably thinking, told you so, told you he'd amount to nothing. Yeah, yeah. That kind of attitude, okay. you know and and then eventually when you turned your life around was your dad alive when you turned your life around no so that was another trauma that hit me when i was
1: 21 he got pancreatic cancer and um we went to visit him one day in hospital and uh the nurse told me what room he was in and i walked in the room turned around to to see he was already dead and they, they'd forgot to tell me that they didn't forget but they just didn't know that we didn't know so okay walked in about his body um and then that was just me back out and drinking drugs
0: and uh, yeah, causing chaos. Yeah, you didn't get, you, you didn't, you didn't get to talk to him before he went. So no, would, and also,
1: also he never got to see who I was because I was in the thick of it. That was I was 21 then. I got sentenced to prison for the last time at 25. If he was to see me now, would he be I proud no of you? Idea. Do you think
0: he'd be proud of you?
1: People people always ask for that, and I, I he couldn't not be because it's just so obvious, isn't it? But yeah. I still have the belief because I haven't had a chance to catch up
0: on that and actually complete that loop and have that conversation. I only I, know- I, I had that same happen. feeling too. Uh, my, my dad died about uh, eight, seven, eight years ago. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be a DJ. And mm. he was, I left school like 17, 16, 17, whatever it was. And I started working in a record shop and he didn't agree with that. Didn't like it, pop music, all that kind of stuff. And then mm. I wanted to be a DJ. And he said, You can't be a DJ. I'm going to get you. My dad worked in the airport. He was a man's man. So he worked in the airport and he started getting me interviews of mates of his that were high up in the airport. And he kept saying to me, When you go in for the interview, just tell them you have a driver's license. And I said, I don't. And he said, But tell them you have, okay? I've got it all boxed off. I've got a job for you. And I go in. The first question they go is, Have you got a driver's license? I go, No. And I'd mess up the interview on purpose. And he goes, You're never going to make money being a DJ. Do you understand? You're never going to make money. Being a-. And he kept drilling this into me get a nine to five job like your dad, you know? And thankfully, I went on to be very successful. I I was one of the biggest nightclub DJs in the country at one stage. And then the radio thing came along. and, And although he came across as being proud of me, and anytime I'd say that to him, and I remember even when I got married, he put his hands in my face and went, I love you, by the way, I'm very proud of you. But I always felt there was a little bit of resentment there you know that kind of way that he was wrong. Then he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then he was. I always felt there was that bit of resentment. So I wonder, would your dad have been the same if he was alive now? At the Probably. Same? Okay, Probably. Well, Lewis, Lewis did well, but you know, you know it, all about his background, it, it, don't you? It was one time where I
1: went out and I got a job. So I thought uh, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to get a job, and I managed to sort of blag my way into this IT sales job. And it was, you know, pretty much tele-sales, but it a little bit more, a um, little bit more than that, and it did involve some telephone sales. And um, I come home and told my dad and he said, "Ah, oh, you're not one of those annoying people that are going to ring me up while I'm at work, are you? And I just thought, <laughs> you could have just said, well done. Fucking, like. yeah, yeah. Cheers
0: for the motivation, dad. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. so that's, yeah, well that's done would have been good. Yeah.
1: Well, I, was, I was the
0: same. I remember going to one of my first gigs. I, obviously I had no car. I was only 16 or 17. And I said to him, can you give me a lift? Like, Because this girl had said to me, I heard you're a DJ. I wasn't at that stage. And I went, yeah. And I, I used to work in a record shop, so I robbed all the records out of the record shop. But I didn't rob them, I borrowed them because I put them back the next day. And uh, I said to him, can you, I had to get hired gear. So I said, can you give me a lift to the gig anyway? At the time it was 20, 20 quid is what I got for the doing this person's 21st or whatever it was. He charged me 15 for the petrol. Like that's how bad he was <laughs> my first gig. He charged me 15 for the petrol for bringing me there. So he just had no faith in it whatsoever. He wanted to try and make a point if you're not going to make any money out of this. But, sorry, oh, yeah. getting back to you, so you're in the cell, you've looked at this piece of tin at yourself, yeah. you now know you're the problem, that the world isn't the problem, you're the problem. Yeah. So yeah. what? how long more had you left to go in jail when you realised that? Well, it was right at the beginning,
1: and I got 18 months, but luckily in the UK you serve half and then you serve the other half in probation, so I had a nine-month sentence ahead of me um, to serve, and i used it constructively i mean i've always been an addict so i've been addicted to sex drugs alcohol gambling and even sort of still display quite a lot of addictive personality traits Mm -hmm. now in work and all sorts of other things but i can channel it a little bit better yeah (laughs) um but i very luckily got addicted to personal development and developing myself i got i got like obsessed with the idea of, of, of transforming myself you know i had these ideas of changing my name and moving country and reinventing every single thing and making it exciting you know I didn't want to be like oh I'm going to stop drinking and stop you know and go and get a job because I I'd, I'd hated the idea of that 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 was one of the things that actually caused me to sabotage a lot of my life I've had this fear of normality which yeah. is I don't I still don't know where that really comes from but mm. maybe this personality disorder and this grandiose sense of self that I have I don't know but the I used to look when i was getting sent to prison you get put in we call it a sweat box in the uk it's like a big bus with tinted windows and um i used to look look through the window and look at the people walking to work and think fucking hell i'm glad i'm not you yeah you know (laughs) me on the way to prison thinking
0: that i I was in the better scenario (laughs) i'm glad i'm not Um, you with the chain handcuffs out look at him (laughs) look at that poor son
1: he's more chained and controlled than i was i think (laughs) yeah um but um i can't remember what the point i was making now yeah but, so, um,
0: yeah you became obsessed with with learning and yeah, I became,
1: yeah yeah so i became obsessed with the exciting idea of completely transforming myself but i knew that if, in order to do that i needed to hit it immersively so I, I i did everything i could possibly think of so i went to the gym that's how i started you know i went to the such a read i started to go to um AA meetings i started to do a six six week rehab program in prison I did counselling. I did maths and English lessons, and I, I realised there were so much resources available, but I'd never seen them before because I wasn't looking for them, you know. And um, started to get breakthroughs along the way. Um, yeah. We obviously haven't got time to explain them all, but I remember there was one maths and English teacher that really sort of showed a lot of belief in me and and uh, you know helped me get past the fear of even trying to learn because I was so scared of proving my dad. Right of being this stupid buffoon, yeah. and once I realized that that was the case, I was able to actually start learning, and then realized I was smart. So it was a very small breakthrough that enabled me to completely open up. Um, the rehab was a the six week rehab program in prison was a complete game changer as well because it opened me up to personal development. And before I thought it was load of mumbo jumbo. I thought there's no way this stuff works. And then when I got just a little bit from it, I said, Oh my god, there's actually something in this. Um, and then I got the opportunity to do a six-month rehab program after I was released from prison. So I could have gone home, could have gone back to my old area after nine months and think, okay, that's it's done now. I'm changed. Yeah. But I made the decision that I needed to do it more, more immersively. So I've moved away from my friends and family, moved hours away from the city down to the coast and uh, started a six-month rehabilitation program where I lived there and it was 24 hour therapy and they absolutely broke me down and rebuilt me into a, into a new person. This because really-
0: you're not the same person because talking to you now, and I've spoken to you before as well, but you mm. even sound different to the guy yeah. in, that, in that trailer, that, that that low life, if I can say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You don't seem like the same person. You know, who actually in one of the videos where you look into the camera, like you look like Biff yeah. from Back to the Future. <laughs> Do you remember Biff from Back to the Future? talent. You look a bit like him, you know, a wild guy. Not a nice person, I nah, think. No, no, no. He was the bully in it, right? But, but anyway. But, Bru- oh, no, I do know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. 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 head. But you, you do <laughs> look a bit like him. And you sound like him, and You sound like a different character. Your, your personality seems to change your voice. You sound much calmer. You sound much more logical. You sound more relaxed. You even look different. It's like you kind of walked through something and just completely changed yourself into a different person. But obviously that that other person is still in there somewhere and you obviously have to keep that back or hold that back in some way. I I don't know how you do that.
1: I mean, to cut a very, very long story short, the main thing I was able to do over many breakthroughs and many counseling sessions and many realizations was just unpick everything and understand myself and get to the bottom of the identity that I'd created of myself and realize that it wasn't fundamentally me. It was just an identity that I'd held due to, labels and experiences and behaviors and things that had sort of compounded over time. And I, I realized that I could make a decision to form a new identity. And in doing that, stepped into a new identity. And then once you start doing good things and moving in the right direction and reading the right material, you start to compound that. You know, I always used to speak about my life spiraling out of control all the time. Like, oh I've ended up back in a prison cell. How did I manage to do that? Everything was going okay and then life spiraled out of control again. But now I always now I talk about life can actually spiral into control. You know, if you start doing the right things, momentum starts really building up. And, you know, I click my fingers sometimes and I'm thinking, how do I keep on getting all these success milestones behind mm. me? And it's because I've changed the way I see myself. And I have, you know, in, in essence, I am a completely different person because my identity is so so different that, that all I have you? left before is the memories. Mm. You know, does
0: that, does that ever worry you? that because you're two completely different people uh, you know, Mm. like a split personality almost, um, does that ever worry you that you kind of think to yourself, who's the real me? Is he the real me? me. Yeah. Yeah. Or or am I the real me?
1: Not not really, because I think they're both me, um, but it's kind of the mask that you wear and that, you Mm. know, the, the way that you want to carry yourself. There was some trauma that I had to deal with that was causing me to act out, which has been resolved. Um, there there was a lack of awareness which was causing me to be reactive rather than to respond to situations which Mm. is now being high and i'm now hyper aware of that awareness which means that i now have control over myself and i can make decisions and choices that are going to benefit me and i'm not in denial and ignorant to the point where i can make mistakes and not really know how they've happened you know so um i'm i'm too i'm too too aware of myself to let that old me yeah. creep back in, although no, fundamentally well, you well apart
0: from anything else. So, okay, let's let's move on now. So now we have the yeah. good Lewis. The good Lewis walks out of jail with a whole new yeah. attitude, but you obviously hadn't got a bean. You'd no money. Yeah. Um, so, where do you get for, go from there in a short period of time to being worth twenty five million? Yeah. I mean, that that's I a got big released-
1: leap. <laughs> yeah, I got released from prison with a fifty pound discharge grant. And I technically was homeless because I, you know, I could have gone back and lived with my mum. So I wasn't homeless. Uh, yeah. but I was homeless by choice because I didn't want to go back to, to my old area with my old friends and repeat the same cycle. So I moved back to, I, I, I resettled where my uh, rehab was and I got access to employment support allowance and housing benefit and started on benefits or welfare, whatever, whatever you would call yeah. it. Um, and um started to go to drug and alcohol meetings uh every day got obsessed with those went to sometimes five in a day it was just part of my life to just be around new groups of people that were on the same sort of journey as me and um I was on benefits just coasting by just just about enough to just you know buy myself a coffee and um I I would I would learn so much from these AA meetings and NA meetings Um, Not just about myself, but about other people, because I was hearing their stories and their vulnerabilities and their breakthroughs and their traumas and their triggers and their denials and their relapses. And it was just absolutely filling me up with the world's best life coaching training. But I didn't know it at the time. So I saw... I was thinking, why is this only available for drug addicts and alcoholics? You know, this stuff is actually just good in general to help people grow. But yeah. it's only when you get really bad that people access this kind of support. So I went I went on Facebook and I started looking for some miserable people that were moaning. <laughs> and I said, look, do you want to meet up for a coffee and we'll have a chat? Yeah, I'm a life like coach. That. Yeah. <laughs> Not even as a life coach At the time, I was just helping for free. Yeah. Um and yeah i actually called myself a personal development mentor i'd never even heard of a life coach <laughs> and then uh after a few sessions i realized that i was just really helping these people so that's the, where the idea kind of popped in oh yeah i could maybe become a life coach did some online training started to learn some more tools and then got into the sort of business side of things you know set up a website social media stuff and uh before you knew it and then i walked into the the local newspaper as well and i said i've got a story for you i said yeah. uh used to be a convicted criminal and now I'm a life coach. And there was like, Oh, that's actually a pretty good story, but it was in this like local newspaper, but they put me in like a full spread. And I was like, wow. Um, And then um, I just got the online side. Um, Not many people, you know, eight years ago were using social media clients, using video calls to deliver coaching sessions. But for some reason I just happened to have, I guess, some talents in, in online world because I just got it naturally. Luckily, and um, within seven months, I'd made a hundred grand just for wow. one-to-one clients. I was absolutely rammed with clients. It was just, I was obsessed with it. i became become a, a workaholic. I was,
0: you know, it was, I had like 25 clients. Oh, were you meeting them? So you arranged to meet them onto the website. Then they were coming into, like, did you have an office or a clinic or?
1: Uh, I started off doing them one-to-one in like, cause I also uh, started doing a, um, um, a college course and then a university course. Um, so I had this co-working space that I would use, okay. I would do, but I would do I'd also do them online because I went because there was one point where I had I did a I did a one year college course and there was the three month gap in the middle right, during the academic year or whatever. And I went traveling around Asia and I and I said to my clients, you know, we'll do our sessions online actually, because then that way we can carry on. And uh, I realized, oh actually, this is just as good. You know, there's no difference. And it's easier. The... I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute, yeah, this is much better. And I was getting the clients online and I was delivering the clients online. And then I realized I had an online business. So it was a very organic kind of intuitive thing. But then I realized I'm full of clients. There's nothing more I can do. So what else could I do? So I started a membership site where people pay a monthly subscription. They get access to my content. Then I created courses, which were like step-by-step methodical courses with um, sort of live workshops in them. And-
0: So in other words, you were essentially teaching other people to be like you and
1: yeah that's that's what it started to start off like that i mean at the beginning it was called hunger start so it was like a personal development community where i was teaching people to change their lives and through that a load of coaches were saying i'm a you know a 60 year old woman that's been coaching for 30 years and i have no clients why is this 25 year old convicted criminal traveling the world earning six figures um can you show me what you're doing and i just said well you just post social, you know, post on social media, you know, D- don't just restrict yourself to delivering sessions in your local area, because that is not percent of the world that you could be coaching and just said some quite obvious things. And then realized quite quickly, I could, um, I could charge for that as well. Yeah um and then people started saying well that's great I like the strategy but then also how are you changing these people's lives so I was getting great testimonies then I also created an academy where I would teach a lot of the things that I learned in rehab and the AA meetings and a lot of the things on my own journey so I created like a new it still had some traditional coaching tools and techniques and models and frameworks in there but it was also my own experience so I ended up having an, uh, ability to change your life the ability to learn how to coach people and the ability to learn how to get the clients and deliver online so i created this package of essentially how to build an online coaching business from scratch and change your life through the process and make an income where you can work from anywhere in the world and i did it probably about a year just before covid so when covid hit the whole yeah. world was like i want to work online I you know and i <laughs> so said you were in Here you just go. at the right time yeah and the, biz- the business went from i think 400 grand a year to 1.6 million that year in revenue um and it's just and then i hired team members and just scaled down on advertising and because because the the products are digital there's no cap to the earnings and then we invested into fun things like vr and opened up a co-working space in in uh, bali for coaches called cafe coach and built out new courses for different things like neuro-linguistic programming and holistic modalities and it just built up to the point where we now have a team of coaching facilitators a team of 50 uh we across 85 countries and um we went for a funding round got the company valued and they come back with 25 million i thought bloody hell and that was only yeah. that was only like three or four years into starting the business
0: and let's deal with a little bit of negativity that you've got you go yeah. in netflix oh, yeah. and a lot of people have accused you because essentially you're a life coach teaching other people to be life coaches you know almost yeah. like a pyramid and they've accused it of being a cult, you know, this yeah. idea, you know, it's it's kind of like, I suppose, a pseudoscience in some sense. Um, and they're accusing you of being responsible for some sort of cult and people are following you with, you know, wanting hey. a better life because they see your life. And there is no doubt that you are you're a very impressionable person. You're a very inspiring person. There's no doubt about that. I'm quite inspired by you. But in saying that, you know, some people maybe get hooked on things like that. If he can do that, I can do that. But not everybody Mm. can do that, Lewis. Unless you're going to tell me everybody can. But not everybody can do that. I don't think everyone's capable
1: (laughs) of that. No, they they can't. But I mean, there's a few things to tap into, you know, because there is the accusation that I exploit vulnerable people, right? That's where that comes from. Um, Not everybody can do it. And I've never said everyone can do it. I'm giving people an opportunity. And the way that our business model is set up but so here's the thing not everybody could do it but I want everybody to have the option to be able to see if they can because at one point I was vulnerable and I would have been seen the worst possible person to ever try to do this but I was able to to, to make it work so who am I to say you are sorry you are too vulnerable to to mm-hmm. learn this um to learn this skill set so the way our business is set up though is we provide free training for people to learn how it works then our first product is a $9.99 membership subscription with no cancellation fee and even a 14 day money back guarantee. So they can come and try it out for as long as they want and even get their money back for free before even considering our live 12 week accreditation course and all that sort of stuff, which is the next level. So there's no vulnerable. We don't know exploiting vulnerable people because we give them a roadmap of free. Mm. There's also lots of free information out there. There's, we've got podcasts, we've got YouTube videos, we've got all sorts of things. If they want to work with us, then, you know, of course, we're going to let them work with us. In terms of the, So the vulner, vulnerability piece is, is bullshit. The only thing that makes people think that there's something wrong with it is because sometimes we do attract people that have had traumas in their life. And that's because I have. And they are, resonate and connect with me. And they say, well, mm. if this guy's been through this stuff, then this gives me hope that I can uh, make something of my life. So, yeah, they might have had some I mean, look, I, I don't
0: agree with the idea that, that you're preying on vulnerable people. Yes, vulnerable mm. people come to you because if you weren't vulnerable, you wouldn't be looking for the service because you want to improve yourself, okay? Or, you know, yeah. if you weren't in a bad place, you want to improve yourself. So it's kind of, I, I don't necessarily agree. The idea that it's being called a cult, I'm looking at this here, okay? So this is an iPhone, all right? Yeah. And clearly, I could be accused of being part of a cult because it's completely overpriced. probably cost 20 quid to make. And it's completely overpriced and it takes advantage of people in the factory in, what's it called, Foxconn or whatever it is called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Foxconn. So... You could accuse people who buy Apple products as being part of a cult. Microsoft products as yeah, being part of a cult. Going on Twitter is part of a cult. Everything could be a cult, really, if you look into it. I suppose. I mean, is that your defence?
1: <laughs> no, I, I don't mind. Look, if you, if people don't understand what a cult is, right, that's their own problem. Because mm. a, I'm not a cult. Because a cult is somebody who. Brainwashes people. Somebody who has like religious uh, parts to it, you know, has also there's all sorts of. I can't remember the exact definition, but I looked it up and I was just thinking, well, this is not what we do. The only thing that we have that vaguely resembles it is we have a community of positive people, which you know, if I if I if 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 that makes me a cult leader, I'm a cult leader. Um, We. have a leader which is me okay which is part of society yeah but you're not claiming you're jesus or anything
0: like that so you know
1: no no no, but i don't even yeah see this is another thing people think that in the (laughs) documentary someone says something like lewis walks in like he's the messiah (laughs) join the community you you won't find me in there
0: you know i'm you know i i'm the ceo again i don't understand this why they said that i seen you walking in and i see you walk i've looked at a couple of your videos online i see you walking up onto the stage but I used to see Steve Jobs do the same thing and get the big round of applause yeah, yeah. and all these people would go, successful businessmen, you know, people who did TED Talks, all those, those kind yeah. of people, that's that's the kind of just the aura around, you know, somebody who's going to give you a speech or going to tell you something informative. It's, it's this particular woman. She, um, she, she was, she's right in one sense where she says that if you
1: uh, do not agree with what we say, then you are outcasted from the community and you do not have that framework around you anymore. That was her words. That's true. Because we have the philosophy of we're not building a cult, we're building a culture, positivity, of people that want to support, motivate and support, inspire one another. And one drop of poison spoils the broth. And if there's one negative person in there that's causing any kind of shit, they are removed and I don't care because they are going to spoil but it's it not the and same in any job yeah, she's one of those people
0: so she's bitter, yeah, she's yeah, she's just bitter. it's the same in any job I, I'll tell you a quick funny story because I know you've got, you've got time restraints and I've got time restraints and, I'm, and I don't want to keep you too long but I was at a many many years ago I was at a Christmas party for a work too, and I was sitting with you know the program director of one of the radio stations I worked in and the CEO and we were kind of you know just chatting and I don't drink but they were drinking and this guy comes over and he worked in the company I think he works in sales and uh, he was pissed, and he sat down. I don't think he realized who the CEO of the company was, and he started saying things like, you know, it's not really easy, you know, selling ads? Because, like, let's be clear, it's a shit station, isn't it? You know, like, who who listens to it? It's shit, like. And I'm going, oh, my God, please stop, please stop. And he goes, like, I don't even like it myself. And I can see the CEO looking at him going, really? And he goes, no. He said, do you think it's shit? He says, it's all right, isn't it? Oh, shit. Following day, the guy was fired anyway. So Uh the point I'm making is, if you don't have faith in your own company and the product, that you're, the brand you're part of, and you're saying negative stuff about it, you deserve to be booted out the door. Yeah,
1: exactly. And yes, you won't have that framework around you, but, you know, it's it's my business. I do what I want. Go and start your own business, your own community, and become your own cult leader, and then you can decide the rules.
0: Up until that point, you know, like it or, or leave. Well, look, well done on the 25 million business. Um, and I'm assuming it's a little bit more than that now because it's probably going up every day. There's a little clock ticking away with the, the amount of money. Do you have to pinch yourself every now and again saying, you know, I'm worth 25 million? I'm gone from snorting lines of cocaine and being skint and in jail to being, you know, successful, looking different, yeah. sounding different, confident, and worth 25 million. Do you have to pinch yourself every now and again? especially when i'm traveling the world
1: living in bali like my dream is like i love freedom so i love to be able to travel i've got a wife now a newborn baby four unfold um yeah it is mm-hmm. real. Uh, thank you it's um it to be honest it hasn't fully caught up and i don't think it will because i'm on that climb still i think if you when you have a real time to stop and really reflect um i think it hit you harder but i'm still kind of uh, I, I really do feel like I'm scratching the surface, you know, I've just I only been sort of a cliche kind of reborn over the last eight years. So I'm kind of fresh in this new identity and this new sort of uh, are you awareness. Of are you
0: enjoying it or are you, are you still a workaholic?
1: Um both I I'm stimulated and excited by what I do but uh, there's a lot of stress and responsibility of course that comes with it and there's times where you know I've put, pulled my hair out but I think we have yeah. always always going to have that in
0: life or in our jobs but yeah I love a lot of it yeah yeah so you're enjoying the free time as well you get a bit more free time now that you're a bit more successful so what what's the plan I mean look you've reached 25 million you know most of us couldn't dream of reaching that level so yeah. but I'm assur- assuming you're you're going to expand even more I mean have you g- looked at other directions now yeah well you wouldn't believe it
1: and it's probably going to trigger a lot of people because they they, you know the belief system is oh come on stop you know going over the top but um (laughs) I'm going for a billion now not because i want to make a billion because the platform that i have planned don't apologize
0: for it by the way you sound like you're almost like going to apologize if we're going yeah, well, you be surprised for some it. people
1: don't like it i've said it i've said things like that before and they don't like it so i just sort of you know for, for people with a certain belief i apologize for how that might be perceived in your mind but i don't apologize it for me because i know what i'm on a mission for but anyway it, it would have to be in that range of money not that i want the money is it, it but the company and platform that i would create would be of, of, of a size that would have to generate that kind of income so i'm looking to reinvent um education i think the education system's broken i think it was built off the industrial revolution Couldn't agree uh, more. i think yeah yeah i don't uh, yeah i don't think it was uh you know designed to help people thrive i think within just the most recent years personal development has exploded And um, children are not children or adults are not taught to understand themselves in any way, shape or form. And they are getting taught things that just aren't equipping them to thrive in the modern world. So the platform, I'm I'm in the process of creating an entirely new platform, becoming a registered college and creating level four and five uh, academic pathways into university um, and creating an entirely new syllabus that will be able to teach children and adults to co-learn on one platform. So the children will be able to learn it. And the adults will be able to, the parents will be able to reinforce yeah. it and the parents will be able to learn it and also clearly communicate that to their children. It's a big mission, um, but I feel like I've done well in the in the coaching industry and it's pretty similar, just a slightly different topic. So yeah. I'm looking to grow and expand and make a, a real impact on the world. And let's see in a couple of years time if we can look back on this interview and say, fucking hell,
0: he did it. Yeah. Will you come back on again? Or will you be just like a, billion, a billionaire then? And like, I'll be small fry. You know, you won't be really interested. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll who, definitely come who, back on. I'd love it. That podcast guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll come back on and talk to us again when you've made your billion. I'll contact yes. you. I play, actually I have your personal number now. So I'll just say, like, keep sending you texts in the middle of the night. And do it,
1: 100%. And I need, I need to be held accountable. So guys, <laughs> to everyone listening right now, hold me accountable. Not necessarily the billion, but hold me accountable for, for creating the platform that disrupts education and provides families uh,
0: an alternative solution to access the education they need to thrive in the modern world. I, and you know what? You're so right. We need tailored education because there are kids who are amazing. Absolutely amazing. But they've been taught the wrong things and they've been forced to learn the wrong things, which are ne- they're never gonna need in their lives. Like I can remember back in school, we learned about parabolas in maths. I have no idea now what a parabola is. Well, I've well, never- synthesis didn- and algebra like- Yeah, yeah I've yeah, never needed ones. to know. Why do I need to know that? I'm never ever gonna use it. You know, So we're teaching them the wrong things and this memory test they do for, in, in England, they call it the GCSEs and A-levels, we call it the junior and leaving cert. It's like a kind of little memory test. And some kids yeah. are so clever, but they just don't have good memories. You know what I mean? Or they might mm-hmm. not remember on that day and, and it just destroys the rest of their lives. So you're They right. also don't teach us about mindset
1: or emotions or, or, or oh. who 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 we are or what we want to do with our life. Or, what or our how to have
0: self-confidence in yourself, how to have confidence in yourself. All those kind of things that should come naturally, but don't come naturally to everybody. You know, and- not come to natural take... to most people, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Lewis. Um Me You're too. a very inspiring really individual. Uh, I have to say, I'm delighted to see that you change, turned your life around. I'm delighted you're so successful and continued success, and we'll talk to you again when you reach the billion, probably in about two months <laughs> or so, three months maybe. I don't know. Yeah, have you got a time you. scale on it? got a timescale? Okay. By the way, when, when you do reach though. the billion, you wouldn't be interested in investing in a really good podcast that I'm aware of. You okay. Oh, um, when I'm at the <laughs> billion,
1: I'll be throwing money left, right, centre. you can have whatever you like.
0: <laughs> Lewis, it's been lovely talking to you. Listen, thank you very much indeed, and continued success. Oh, by the way, if people want to go to the website, it is well, oh, yeah. they, they, they can go to your website, of course, your own website as well, which is lewisraymondtaylor.com. But they can also go to coachingmasters.com. That's coachingmasters.com. Yeah. We'll put it in the explanation. If you're looking at this on the website right now, it'll be down in the dialogue in the bottom underneath underneath the video. And Otherwise,
1: one in, one important thing, if you really want to learn the, the full story, because this was scratching the surface a little bit, go to Netflix. It's available in, the, in, in Ireland. Type in the psychopath life coach, and uh, you can see an hour and a half of all the footage and the pictures and the
0: videos that bring Bring yeah, the story I watched to it by the way it's wild <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so if you go to Netflix The Psychopath Life Coach is the name of the, the documentary you can watch it it's actually up there in the top 10 so uh, keep an eye on it listen, right, so thank you very much indeed Lewis and we really appreciate talking to us today thank you the multi-award winning Niall Boylan podcast listen live on Facebook YouTube and all the usual live stream services to get in touch just WhatsApp or text 085 100 2255 the Nile Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.